I want to, um, I have a very small message to share today. It's not too involved. And I want you to hold me to it. You can't go too long. <laughs> I say it's going to be short and then we go 40 minutes. I won't. <laughs> Lord help me. But I want to um, actually take a look at our Jeremiah reading today. Although what I'm going to share, there's a thread through all the readings, and I invite you to go back to Sunday readings and reflect on them in prayer today. But I'll be focusing on Jeremiah chapter 2, we read uh, verses 4 to 13. And um, I'll read you verse 13. This is what I want to think about today. It says, God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. They have the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's always helpful to think of the context that the writer, the prophet is uh, speaking and writing. Jeremiah is writing at the end of the fifth century. Um, when he begins his uh, prophetic ministry, uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Judah, um, is a client state, the greater Assyrian empire. And when Jeremiah begins to share God's words, the Assyrian empire is crumbling. By the end of Jeremiah's uh, ministry, Assyria has fallen, the Babylonian empire has risen, and Babylon destroys Jerusalem. So Jeremiah is the final pro God's prophet speaking to his people. And when he's speaking to them, God is telling the people what brought them to that disastrous condition, their nation conflict. He's telling them. And it, what's interesting is that God doesn't say, well, you had, the, you had bad economic policies. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say to them, you had crooked politics. He doesn't actually say that. He doesn't say, you had the wrong fashionable clothes. That's not it. And what we heard today, he says, you're worshiping Baal. You have another God and it's not me. And here in verse 13, he says, you have they have forsaken me and they, they have cut themselves off from the spring of living water. What's interesting is that that condition, well, before I say that, I'll read you verse 19. It's not part of the reading today, but when I was reading this and thinking about it, verse 19 essentially wraps up the whole message that God is sharing through Jeremiah. So let me read you verse 19. He says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider, then realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Consider and realize. It, I was thinking about this passage, and that phrase kept standing out to me. Consider and realize, and that, it hit me. Do you know what that? You know what that means. You know what that language means. Consider and realize. That's intervention language. It's an intervention. Not too long ago, not at this church. I had a friend come up and say, can you please talk to my husband? He isn't fully aware that his drinking is hurting our marriage and hurting our family. I was honored and nervous at the same time, but it comes with a role. I'm gonna have a conversation with this person. I went to this person and out everything I said, if I could sum it up right now, we, I said to him, 
consider and realize how your behavior and decisions are hurting your wife and destroying your family. It's an intervention. And God is having is doing an intervention with his people. Consider and realize what it means for you to worship this worthless God, Baal, who is no God, and abandoning me, the God that's rescued, that's fed you, that's protected you for hundreds of years. And what's interesting is that in this passage, they're worshiping Baal. That's what they worship. But it didn't start that way. In fact, the, the trajectory of that nation's spirituality begins with them worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. And then in time, for political reasons, <clears throat> the people split apart, and then they start worshiping still the true God, but then they erect idols, a bull. But they mean to worship God, but now they're having an idol present. And God had said, don't do idols. But they're trying to be well-meaning. Everyone else has idols. Let's have this idol, but we're still worshiping Yahweh. After that, it was, well, we have these altars to Yahweh, but you know what? All the other nations, they have Baal worship. They have Asherah poles. So why don't we worship the true God, but also have altars to Baal? Let's have poles to Asherah. And they had multiple gods. Because aren't all those ways a way to God? They're different religions, but aren't they a way to God? And then, by the time of the ending of the country, of the nation, they're just worshiping Baal. And God is saying to them, that way of thinking is cutting you off from the spring of living water. It's cutting you off from me. It didn't, it didn't start with just worshiping Baal. They actually had multiple religions, multiple gods, and they were all ways to God. Their beliefs, what they believed, ended up bringing them to a place of destruction. And it couldn't have been a surprise because God repeatedly, chronically, was reminding them, turn away from these false gods, turn away from these false behaviors, these false beliefs, and come to me. And they persisted. They ignored God. That ancient way of thinking, thousands of years now, exists today. It's the same thing. How many conversations have I had with people in and outside of the church? Always a way to God. Yeah, I hear you had your Christian faith or Jesus, but so-and-so, that's also a, a, a way to God. Is it Buddhism a way to God? Or is it Islam? Or being wicked? Whatever. Aren't they all ways to God? And I want to tell you something. The, the, the idea, all ways are way to God, the living God has never said that. In fact, the whole story of the Bible, the whole story, is God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt, and then through the decades and centuries, teaching them, reminding them, I am the only true God. You belong to me. I belong to you. There are no other gods but me. And that is not only the story of Scripture, but it's the story of the human race, of each one of us. How, do, how are we going to relate to God? Are we going to treat him as the only one who can save us, who loves us, and has given his life for us? Or are we going to say, well, you're just one among many? Now, you could say to me, well, Seth, I'm sitting in the pew today. I'm clearly worshiping God. I may believe that other ways are ways to God, but I'm here. I'm not worshiping other gods. I may think that, but I'm not doing it. I want to tell you 
That might sound reasonable, but I'm going to tell you how it's not. I'll give you one example. This is my, for me, my life. You see if it, how it makes sense to you. I'm married to my wife. There she is. Correct. And I was married. I, when in the ceremony, when we were married, I made all these vows. She would be my only one. I would be the only one to her. And that's been our relationship so far. In fact, last week, four years, baby marriage. But, you know, it's, it's, it's an achievement for us. Okay. What if on the day, on, on the 17th on our anniversary, I said to her, well, I am, only, I, I am living this life it's only for you. But in my mind, I think that, my, so my, my intimacy, my tenderness is only for you. But I believe that I could have that with other women. In fact, if I did engage other women, that would be the same as if I was engaging with you. They're all different ways to you. I believe it. I'm not doing it, but I believe it. And I tell her that. What do you think she's going to say to me? Is she going to say, wow, Seth, you're so modern. You're so progressive. Wow, that's so, that's so great. Look at you. Thumbs up. Bro, she's not going to say that to me. It's going to be a violent problem. It's going to hurt her at least. She'll be very hurt, justifiably upset. And there will be a fissure, a, a hurt, a dent in our relationship. We won't engage the same way. She might pull back. She will feel insecure. But I, I don't trust you. I feel cut off from you. And that is just, that is, um, you're married. That is the, the highest human relationship. And when God brought his people to Mount Sinai, if you read that whole story, it's actually a Really, it's a marriage covenant. In a way that I can't fully explain, God is binding himself to his people. And now that we've been welcomed as a family and the people of God, we now have that relationship with God. So what does it mean for us to say and believe, well, all ways are weak to you, God. They're all ways to you. How do you think that would make God feel? When he says, I am the only God, and I'm the only one that you can relate to this way. And then we say, well, there's other ways. We saw how my, my wife would have felt doing that. But we saw that. <laughs> so let's think about this. It hurts us. And that's what he says here, verse 13. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold, hold water. This way of thinking. Always ready to God. It's a broken sister. I'll put it this way. This is from my own life too. I've been doing this for a spell. Even before I was a priest, I was serving in full-time ministry as a lay, as a lay pastoral associate. And before that, Bible study leader, small group leader, worship leader. I've been an evangelist for many years now. So I've had many conversations with people about God, faith, spirituality. And I've had friends who have believed all kinds of things. Even Christian friends who have told me, yeah, they believe always are ready to God. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Every single friend of mine that was a Christian that also believed that always ready to God, they never evangelized, and they were never helpful in the growing of the church of God. Never happened. And I'll tell you why. Because if you believe that always are ready to God, you will never really feel the impetus, or you'll never feel compelled to share with someone the good news of Jesus. Why? Why? That way is good enough. Then Christianity becomes a private piety, and it's just for yourself. And practically, you're not sharing the love of Jesus. You're being kind in a kind of modern Western way, but you're not sharing the love of the living God. 
And really, to say all the way is the way to God, that's another way. Ultimately, when you think it through, logically to the end, it's a way of justifying every decision that we made, whether it's good or a mistake. Because whatever decisions you make, if you tally it all up, that would also be a way to God. Doesn't matter who you've hurt, who you've befriended, who you've abandoned. Philosophically, it would be a way to God. So really, that way of thinking is a way of justifying our broken behavior. But really, we don't believe that. We actually do believe that there's a right and a wrong. I'm reminded right now of the words of Dr. Martin Luther King when he said that there's a moral arc to the universe. But he meant by that, when he was fighting for the civil rights of his people, he was saying there is fundamentally a right and a wrong. And the right is there in the universe because God has created the universe. God is perfect goodness. And so his very being is embedded in the tapestry of our reality. We can feel it when something's right. We can feel it when something's wrong. We can. In the past two weeks, I've had four conversations. I spent a lot of my time doing my best to talk to non-Christians and engaging them, seeing what they think, what they believe, and bring them to church. That's my work. I do that. I'm going to tell you four conversations I've had. And I gave each of these person, each of these people, one story. Because they've also told me something like this. Well, Seth, all that matters is I'm a good person. I do good things. I don't, I don't want any of this religious stuff. I'm just a good person. Then I tell them the story. And I want to tell you a story to you right now. It's like this. I want you to imagine a single mom. And the single mom has a little boy. And she's on her own, no one's supporting her, and so she works two jobs. She keeps him in school, having fed, having clothed, and she just works herself to the bone. And so he has a lot of time to do his homework. And he, he graduates high school, and he has such good marks that he qualifies from the best schools in the country. And so his mom, he gets into one of the best schools, and his mom says, you know what, you just go and study, I'll pay for everything. You just go, do it. And so she picks up a third job, and she's working herself to the bone, making sure that he doesn't have to work, just focus on his studies. And he finishes his university studies and he gets admitted to one of the most prestigious law firms in the country. And he's set. Six figures easy. I want you to imagine that the moment this young man has that perfect job, imagine that he never calls his mom again. He might call her for Christmas, but that's about it. Short phone call. Never calls her again. But imagine that this young man does good in his community. Goes to the soup kitchen once a month. He's charitable with his money. He's kind to his friends. But he never calls his mom. Is he a good person? Well, it's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> at least, at best. And I was talking to one of the four people, I was talking to them, and I shared that story. And then they were sharing with me how essentially they were in that boat. They felt, partially they felt guilty that they hadn't called their, their mother, their parents, for over two years. But they also kind of defended it. Well, they love me. They know that I'm busy. They know that I'm doing a lot of like, cool, fun things here in the mountains. Bro, really? You think they're just, oh, it's fine that he doesn't call me. <sighs> no, if you're a parent, I mean, I have these little guys right here, but some, a lot of you have older kids. You know what if you like not to call? You remember all the things that you did to, make, to ensure if they were alive, well-fed, well-clothed, you know that. What does it mean for them not to call you? 
I'm going to tell you what I told them. We are all in that situation, in that boat, with regards to God. We can live our lives, do good for community, do wonderful things, but if we're not connecting with the real and true God, we're like a kid who doesn't call the parents. And God has done more for us than any of us parents have done for our kids and ever will ever do. Jesus Christ died on the cross, gave his own life that we might be God's family forever. And I do it too. I habitually can live such a life that doesn't have a reference to God. I make my own choices, my own moves. I'm not telling you that I'm doing great. I'm telling you that I'm there with you. But I'm telling you God's word. That way of living, if you're a Christian, I'm going to talk to the Christians. If you're a Christian, you're trying to follow Jesus, but you're living that way, you're going to, all, you're going to wonder, why did my faith not grow? Why is it when I read the Bible, I just don't trust it? I struggle to understand it. Why can't I share my faith in a way that's persuasive and wins to others? I'll tell you why. Because you cut yourself off from God, the living water. And you dug your own system, and it's empty. And worse than that, if you if you make up your own God, if you say, well, all of these are ready to God, that Jesus that's in that sort of pantheon is not the real Jesus. That means that when you're going through a hard time, you're going to feel so alone. Not because God doesn't love you, but because you, I, have cut myself off from God. And you're going to wonder, where's God? What's me? Why am I going through this hard thing and I don't feel like God's near? God wants to be near. But you, you have beliefs like they did that are pushing them away. Because us as humans, we're designed, we are in need to be in intimate connection and relationship with the only true God. And when we're not doing that, we're existing against the grain of reality. And when you do that, you're going to crash against reality. If a boat is on the water and it ignores a lighthouse, what's going to happen? It's going to be destroyed. That goes to all of us. As Jesus was telling you know, people at the party, you have to be humble. Of all the religions that exist in this world, Christianity is the most galling. Because to follow Jesus, you have to, you have to step into the room and say, I can't do it on my own. I make a lot of mistakes. And a lot of mistakes I've made, I've, been, I've willed them. And I can't save myself. If I, you know, if I had to stand before you, God, right now, I would perish. I would die. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That's Christianity. Repentance. But the beauty is, at the moment, the moment that you say, I'm not enough, I'm sorry, at that moment, Jesus arrives and hugs you. And he holds you and says, it's okay, don't worry about it. I paid the price for that. You're mine forever. But you have to repent. There is no other way. I'm sorry, God, for having these beliefs that are putting a blade into our relationship. As hard as it is for me to say, you are the only true God. And I want to share, I haven't been doing it, but I want to share your love. I'm sorry that I've held this belief. And the moment you say sorry for that, it's the only way. It's not easy, and it will hurt, but it's the only one that saves, Jesus Christ. We're going to go to the Lord's table now. 
I don't know your hearts. It's not for me to know. It's not for me to judge. Ever. But as your brother, I'm inviting you to the Lord's table. Don't cut yourself off from living waters. Follow Jesus and only Jesus. Proclaim Jesus and only Jesus to those you know and love. You don't know how to do it? I'm here. Talk to me. I'll show you what I do. I work for you too. Do it for your own good. More importantly, for God's greater glory. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God. God, we come to you in the spirit of thanks. And we thank you that no matter what we do, how we behave, how we push you away, you're a God that pursues us. You're a God that you're always so willing to forgive. Only we repent and turn to you. Doesn't matter how many times we have to repent. We'll always be there. We thank you that we're never alone. You love us and you're with us. I pray for each person in this room. God, I don't know their lives, but you know them. You know their lives better than they do. And you're there with them. God, whatever's blocking us from proclaiming you as the only true God, whatever's blocking us from trusting you exclusively, whatever makes us nervous in our social circles and we just can't talk about you, I pray that you remove that, that you empower us with your Holy Spirit and you strengthen us to go out there with a bold humility to share your love. We pray this and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.